Okay, we're live. Welcome to Technically Managing, everyone. This is episode 12. I'm Zachary Telke. I'm Robin Murakami. And, and we have our first guest today. Yes, so I can introduce Denise because she's part of my team. Um, so basically, she works in the product management team for Graph and Spatial, and she was here before I joined, um, but she did join Oracle after we joined. So tell us about you, Denise. <laughs> um, so actually, I'm not a, um, a product manager, I'm a program manager. Right. Um, it's just because of how, um, what um, title is available when I joined the team. So, um, yep. So my name is Denise Merrick. I've been at Oracle for about a year and a half now. Um, I'm from Boston, Massachusetts, but I live in um, a little town called Chester, New Hampshire now. Um, I've, before I joined Oracle, I worked for the Navy for almost 12 years. Um, as a civilian, I wasn't in the Navy. And yeah, it's a little bit about me. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, we'll ask you questions. For this. Okay, yeah. that's good. <laughs> Wait, let's start with the first one because one of the things that like I found funny being in product management is just how vague our title is and how it means like so many different things. Is there with you being a program manager, is that something that has like a distinct difference or was it just kind of the available title and you just do the same things as a product manager? Yeah. So the, um, I was taking over for um, somebody that was leaving the team and she was a program manager. Um, so I was, I took over her roles, which is more like configuration management kind of stuff. Okay. Um, and I do like the um, product, um, not the product the purchase orders and the PLS, so the um, third-party library kind of configuration stuff. Um, but I also do product management work as well. Um, so Melly, our boss, and I are going to work on converting. So I do, I'm kind of like a hybrid um, employee right now. Yeah, no, I feel like product management is just everything because I feel like after, maybe even after you get converted, you're still going to be... still going to do that work, right? Exactly. So... Yeah. Um, it's just, I have to be doing 50% or more product management, I think, to make the title change. So, I mean, I think you already do kind of, right? So... Yeah, I think it will depend on how much time PLS takes me. Um, and mm -hmm. PLS, um, I don't know if you would know this, is the um, tool that Oracle uses to like track our third party libraries. And that can be really time consuming. <laughs> I think this I is mentioned just like our coding libraries. Um, yeah. Like so, the third party ones um, that we use. Yeah. Every third party library that we use, we have to track it. Um, and that's for like vulnerability issues um, and legal needs that information too. So, for our development teams, I take care of that for them for the most part. Um, What's tracking that look like? Is it just kind of like analyzing it to see how, like when they do updates to libraries, like the code changes just to like look for like what's going on underneath the hood, like vulnerabilities, or is it something like different? Yeah, so they need it for the vulnerabilities. So if there's a okay. vulnerability that comes out, we need to know 
what libraries are these using? So if we're using that library, it can get updated. Um, and then if you look at the documentation, um, it shows every every third party library that we use. So, um, the um, doc writers use that information too. So um, I don't know, we could do a whole episode on PLS. Yeah. It's, it is very time consuming and it's really hard because it's um, interesting. <laughs> I'm interested in it. Do you know what PLS stands for? Um, I can look it up really quickly. Public library. No, I'm, I'm just, I should know the answer to that. But, you know, There's I'm like so many it. acronyms at Oracle that I learn and then forget. Or I'm just like, no, it's this acronym. I just looked it up online and it just says, please, PLS. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm having trouble with my, um, my browser. It keeps yeah. telling me, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with my computer. Maybe we can like, um, put it in the, you know, in the video whenever. Yeah. Yeah, for the, <laughs> yeah. you know. Have Megan do a little layover on one of the clips or something. Yeah. <laughs> But, One of the things I was curious about is like, I'm not sure if there's something that uh, you run into, Denise, or it's like outside of you and Ramu's team. But when it comes to like developing our software, have you like been privy to kind of what goes into when we decide to build something ourselves versus use like a third party library? Is it just kind of like what's available out there? And Versus like if it handles our needs or I think I'm always kind of like curious what goes into decision to like make it ourselves versus what do we have there just kind of adjust our requirements based on like the tools available. That's a good question. I haven't been really privy to those conversations. Um... I think most of the time, though, we do have a confluence page where we have um, basically the libraries that Oracle have. And there's some that are determined that like, let's say that if there's like an, like a third party library that does the same thing as the Oracle library, we of course put more preference in the Oracle library, but that I know of, cause you know, when Denise took maternity leave, I was taking care of um, doing that process. Normally the, the developers would tell us what libraries they're using. So we don't yeah. really get to pick what libraries they use. Right. But we do sometimes have to come back and tell them, hey, maybe this PLS didn't get approved because we have to go with an Oracle option. And sometimes since Oracle has so many things, right, um, not everyone knows about them. So there's a confluence page where you can go in and look for all of the third party, well, like the libraries that Oracle have. Right. So you can't use a product that is um a competitor or anything like that so. that makes sense yeah with my um one of the tools i'm a product management for is sql cl and like one of the big things with the liquibase feature which mm -hmm. allows you to like automate your database objects is we build it on top of the open source liquibase platform so mm -hmm. it's like a combination of like external technology like plus like our own just code that we built on top of it it's it's a topic that's like a bit outside my wheelhouse at this point but i have like 
taken part in some of the conversations or just overheard just like some of the different things between like oh yeah we're waiting for like this library to update or like this external file like needs to be fixed from like this thing so that this can do that so yeah. I don't know it's it's, kind of, it's that's like one of the things that's like cool this job is just how you go in so many different directions and like even though you can't do it all at once I feel like I'm kind of just like expanding in different areas I'll go a little bit in one be like I can't I have to like focus my attention to something else but there's like always these like hanging threads where I'm curious to get around to I'm like I like I wonder how like the developers handle like say the external libraries like I was asking or just like all that decision making and learning about it yeah that's a good question we should get LJ on <laughs> and ask him about that I think it's crazy and I and we were talking about this with Zach um, this week about how our managers have to deal with so many things and take care of so many things and track so many things because for example um, Denise takes care of PLSs right and the purchase orders and other things right and then I'm taking care of other things or maybe Rahul is taking care of other things and then we have the whole team actually doing like different things you know like some of them focus more on development others on like talking to customers other others on the um documentation or material to show customers and stuff like that so it is just crazy how Melly comes in and she has to like listen to all of us working on different things and keep track of everything and yeah. at least like for me I'm a totally new person to this role right even though I've been here for a year but you know, you continue to learn so many things, right? Like, for example, when Denise left from maternity leave, I was in shock that we were taking care of purchase orders. <laughs> I was like, wait, we take care of that? You know, like, it just, you know, I don't know. It just didn't make sense to me. Yeah. Um, and it's crazy because then you hear about what other people are doing inside of your team and you're like, what? We handle that? Like, how is yeah. that possible? <laughs> Yeah. It's it's like right when you're starting to feel like a little bit good about your job or like I'm starting yes. to get a grasp of this. You find like find out about this whole other area that just goes way over your head. And you're like, Me no, too. there's a lot more moving pieces than I can even like track. Yeah. I think that's why product management's fun, because like you're never gonna be good at all of it. So yeah. um, you know, there's always something to learn. I think it's like a good job. Like, at least for me, because of that, where it definitely causes anxiety sometimes. But I'm like, if I had something where I just figured it out and that was it, I would get bored pretty quick. It's like, I like how you're always just building your skill set. Exactly. It's always new. Everything is new to you in product management. I don't think, even if like you have the same events, like for example, conferences or Cloud World, you're still learning and doing new stuff in technology in general. So that's really cool. Yeah. So um, I'm really Oh sorry. Go first for me. Oh, I was just going to ask, like I'm really curious, and I feel like I've asked you this question before, but I think this will be like very useful for people that listen to our podcast. And is how did you transfer your skills from like your previous job to this job? And that means that you would kind of have to explain what you did in your previous job that I know it's complicated. <laughs> Yeah. I'd but love to like, hear the whole story like about that, kind of just 
how'd you get into tech? Like, what'd you study in college? Like, how'd you end up in the Navy? What brought you for, or, cause you said you were a civilian worker for the Navy. You weren't in the Navy itself, right? right? Okay. Yeah. I'm like really curious, like how you got from say like college to Oracle and like those steps in between. Um, yeah. So I, um, went to the university of Massachusetts at Dartmouth. Um, and my undergrad was in computer science. So just like a lot of other, um, majors, we had to do a capstone project. And um, where UMass Dartmouth is, is very close to a um, a warfare center for the Navy. So it's a, a command that focuses on a certain type of technology. So um, there's a Naval Undersea Warfare Center in Newport, Rhode Island. Um, and there's a partnership between, um, it's called NUIC, Naval Undersea Warfare Center. Um, Newick is um, connected to UMass Dartmouth. So um, when UMass Dartmouth is soliciting businesses every year for capstone projects, um, Newick typically submits a few of them. Um, and I happen to be um, assigned to a capstone project for Newick. So um, at the end of the year, our capstone mentor um, asked us for our resumes and um, I got an interview and eventually they hired me to work in Newick. So that's how I got there. Um, and then I worked there for almost 11, excuse me, almost 12 years. Um, and I focused on submarine training. So um, on board the submarines, they have to do different types of training to get what's called qualified to be on board the submarine and then to like learn about different systems on board. So I worked on training systems mostly um, for those almost 12 years. Nice, that's really um, cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, I got to work directly with the fleet on something that was important to them. Um, and I felt useful, which was really great. Um, and I got to have some experiences that most people will never ever have. So I've been on board almost every submarine in the fleet that was commissioned at the time. So obviously since I left new boats come on and I haven't been on those ones, but I got to spend some time undersea um, on submarine. So that was pretty cool. What was that um, like? Is that like a weird feeling like being underwater? Like, cause all I have for perspective is like being on a boat. Like, is, does <laughs> so it feel like, different like being in like underwater, like in a submarine? Um, I mean, mentally, yeah, because you're like, I'm this many feet under, under board, underwater, but no, like, it's very um, stable. So it, once you're underwater, it doesn't really feel like you're moving that much. So, um, and then eventually, it just felt like it was time to move on. Um, so I started putting my resume out there, and I didn't get any um any any bites, but then I worked with a um a coach to work on my resume to bring it from like military speak because I had a lot of trouble figuring out how to convert what I was doing within military to something that the corporate world, world would understand. Um, and then the job for Oracle came up and I submitted it and our boss giant um reached out to me and here we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, history from there. Yeah. So, how many 
how many job applications do you think you submitted before you got Oracle? Um, not that many, probably like five. That's really good, actually. <laughs> like yeah, five so. sounds like little. <laughs> <laughs> um, once I knew that I was going to work with um, Lindsay, I stopped applying because I knew that my resume needed a lot of help. Um, right. So, and then once Lindsay got a hold of my my resume, it was the first job I applied to. And that's the job that you got. That's crazy. That's how important resumes are. Yep. So um, she was incredible. She really helped me figure out what I wanted to do and if I wanted to leave at all. Um, And then helped me figure out how best to position myself. So if you're thinking about changing um, careers like that, having somebody help you try to figure that out is, I think, invaluable. Yeah, what was that decision making like? Because going from the military sector to corporate is like a pretty big jump. Like what was, I'm really curious, like what were those kind of factors that like went into decision, the things that were, let's say, like you're hopeful about versus you were scared about with that kind of transition? Yeah, so I was definitely really scared. Um, there's, uh, there was a perception, I think, for a lot of um, government employees that, um, working for the government is like the um, benefits package is so much better and the um, stability of the job is so much better that leaving is um, what's a good word the risk cost benefit really isn't ideal um, but I I was in a job that I felt like it was time for me to move on from. And I was working at a base that there wasn't really anything else that I wanted to do there. And I wanted to stay in New Hampshire. Um, So I felt like I needed to leave to, I felt, I just felt like it was time for me to move on. Um, But I mean, I loved my job at Newick until I didn't, um, but most of the people I worked with were incredible. Um, and it was, it was really hard to make that decision, but it was, it was just time for me to do something new. I don't know. You mentioned how, like one of the things that you had to get used to when like putting together your resume was translating just the vocabulary using like out of like military sector. I was It's interesting because my dad's, uh, he was Air Force his entire life. So like growing up, one of the things that I think helped me be a good technical writer is the fact that he came from like that military background. Like he was always just, even if it wasn't like my teacher doing it, he was like taking my school papers, sitting me down, like (laughs) red line, going through everything, like teaching, like not just like doing it for me, but like showing me like, hey, like here's where you can improve the grammar here uh just teaching me about I would say like that style of writing which is like very like straightforward direct to the point and accurate so I'm I'm kind of curious like based off of that switch of hey you had to adjust say your writing style for corporate was like what were some of the are there any things that come to mind in terms of like skills or areas that coming from 
that more military sector, even though you were a civilian in it, coming to corporate where it's like, oh, this is a skill set that I learned that's been helpful, that kind of like has me stand out or like, and like also on the other side, were there any other things that kind of came to mind of like a bit rough on the adjustment period, just because it is such a different area to be in? Um, actually, exactly what you're talking about. I think that um, working on documentation, I think Ramu can attest to this. Yes. Um, <laughs> I am definitely a stickler for getting the um, instructions right. So if it's not exactly right, so, you know, something's capitalized, but it shouldn't be, or the wording isn't perfect. Um, that's something that in the military would, they would like stop work and make you fix it. Um, I worked for a nuclear um, system. So if your documentation wasn't perfect, they would literally stop working and tell you like- You want those to be accurate, it. yeah. Right, so um, I I think I sometimes irritate my coworkers. <laughs> I worry about when that I, too. When I harass them about um, getting it exactly right. But um, that's definitely something that I think has translated well um, as a product manager, getting that kind of stuff right, we want to make sure um, we're documenting everything properly. Um, I think the hardest part for me was just having the freedom to say, I'm going to be off for the next hour because I have something I need to deal with and I'll be back and I'll do my job later. Um, when you work for the the government, it's all very like you work eight hours um, and you have to like track all of that. So having the freedom to say, I got to go pick up my kid, I'll be back or I have a doctor's appointment or whatever. Um, I've been struggling a little bit with like, with that kind of thing. Um, but it's definitely a welcome change. With the whole getting used to like having the autonomy to walk away, I would say that's like something that like even though I like definitely put in my hours I always feel guilty and have like a hard time like walking away from everything and I think slack makes it so much worse because you're always just worried about like what if someone needs me or yeah like oh what's this ping I have are there any like tips or just things that you told yourself in your mind when you start switching that mindset to just kind of teach you that like, hey, like this is okay, like different environment, different culture and the job flows a little bit like differently. Yeah, so one thing I, I did very consciously um, when I started working for Oracle is I asked for a separate cell phone. Um, so I don't have my like work email on my phone and doing that like separation has made it a little bit easier for me to like, know it's okay that I'm not working right now because I am doing my job. Um, and I think that that's really helped. So I do have Slack on like my personal phone, but I don't have my email. And I try really hard to like separate the two. And when I went on maternity leave, um, I shut off Slack. So I wasn't getting notifications. So if Ramu needed something, she knew that she needed to text me. Um, and that's how I knew that something was really important that I needed to take care of, so. That's how I handled that. So I first want to highlight that I think it's like really good that you took the chance of like 
leaving a job that was stable to you and that you were there for so long because I feel like I've heard so many people say oh I started here and I I'm staying here because I'm comfortable right like I think a lot of people struggle with that and it is a really hard decision and I mean like you had a really good reason right and it was growth at, at the end of the day maybe it feels like you weren't really growing how you should be growing so it was a, a really good decision but still people they might feel like they're not growing in their place and they still continue to stay where they're not growing so good for you and good for us to have you here you know um and talking about the documentation so zach i sent denise almost all of the honestly all of the live labs that i work on <laughs> and she always catches on like everything like maybe two or three people have reviewed my my live lab and she will catch something that the two or three people missed, you know? So it is very useful. I don't think it's annoying. I think it's amazing, honestly, because, you know, like if you're releasing a live lab, you want that to be like 100% like, you know, understandable for everyone. Yeah. So it's- a I will really be the person deal. who reviews your live lab and goes, actually, that should be an and, not an uh. <laughs> But does the lab work? And I'll be like, I haven't gotten that far yet. Let's start with the vocabulary in the intro. Like, yeah, that's me. I did the same. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, to remit to your point, um, I think that there's a perception that if you've worked for the government for a certain number of years, like you can't get a job in corporate. Um, so that was definitely difficult for me to like wrap my head around. Like I, sh I should try it anyway. Um, yeah. So. That's interesting that that was like your kind of perspective of that, because at least with like my family, just associating with a lot of like Air Force families, it felt like the perception that we that I almost kind of absorbed was that corporate jobs like hiring military people because like they have that like discipline, like routine, they're reliable. So that that's kind of like interesting that like your fear was like almost the opposite. Yeah, I think that there's something different between being a civilian and being military. Um, and, you know, I was coming from, like, the people that were trying to keep me there were telling me this. So you were coming from a, a position of, like, probably people retiring and, like, it's time to move on. Like, yeah. we were listening to, like, no, you have to stay here because X, right? So mm -hmm. I think it's just a different perspective. And it's also a bunch of people that, have worked for the government for 20 years and don't want to leave, right? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad I left, but I'm also, it was a great, it was great for me. There was a lot of growth there. Um, so, I don't know. Um. So like, for example, if you know those questions where they ask you, are you a veteran or something like that? Would you say yes or no? Yeah, <laughs> this is just a... <laughs> okay. Okay, because you're a civilian, right? So like right. veterans would be the the person that was actually like in the military doing. Right. So my yeah. husband's a veteran. Okay. In the military, he was enlisted, um, and I was not. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, was they don't something? have that in Spain, so. <laughs> Was Sorry. that something that uh, was ever like a question for you once you started like working for the Navy is, was there ever any 
like pipeline or interest in funneling like the civilian workers into the Navy? Or did they like generally kind of keep that separate and didn't really have a motive to say, try to like funnel you in like closer? Um, it's a good question. I don't really remember anybody ever transitioning from civilian to military. Um, I don't know how that would work. I'm sure if you were interested in joining the military, there's a program to help you do that. But like, we weren't encouraged to enlist or commission. Um, but there were a lot of people that I worked with that were prior military that started working for Newick. Um, so there's a lot of like that way, but not a lot of, not that I'm aware of. A lot of switching from like military from to civilian sector, but not other way around. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes would sense. You, would you consider the, the work you did in the Navy technical, like, with technology or no? Yes, so the team I worked for, um, we built what's called um, a learning management system. So it delivered the, the training system. So, you know, like we do the um, the yearly training that mm -hmm. we just went through. Um, we did, parts of our team built those kinds of training. And then there's a system that um, delivers that. So we built one specifically for the Navy. Um, so I didn't do any of the development. I did like the background, kind of like what we do here. Like I did the testing and the, um, I worked with the, the sponsor to make sure that we're building the product that we wanted. We did the acceptance testing and the delivery and all the, the documentation, that kind of stuff. But um, I was part of the, the development team, so. Okay. So for I, you, my work well, with the military was actually really similar to what we do here. Right. So you 100% knew you wanted to go into um like a technology role, like after the military, right? Or after the Navy? Yeah. So my undergrad is in computer science and then I have a master's right. in software engineering. So um, staying with technology was kind of... The way to go, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a natural fit. With your degree, um, like versus your role when you first like went into the workforce, uh, how much of a translation would you say that like what you learned from your undergrad and masters like applied to your job? Because that's a really good question. Oh my god, I yeah. love <laughs> I I feel like I've heard people go like two different ways, and it seems like it depends on the program and in schools that you were like went to where some people are like eh, it's actually like pretty closely aligned versus others were like my comp side degree had like nothing to do being like a programmer when I like went into the workforce like being a developer at like x company so I'm kind of yeah. I'm always kind of curious what people's experience with that is so I think my undergrad I'm sure I used it just like basic like technology information, right? But, but I wasn't a programmer, so I didn't really do a lot of what I was trained in, but my master's I got while I was working. And it was actually a really great program because um, I had to take 10 classes. And for the most part, I got to like pick what I wanted to take. Um, 
And I was able to choose classes that were relevant to what was going on at work. So um, like I was doing a lot of like C stuff. So I took a C programming class. I did some like database stuff. So I took a database class. Um, so that there was like a one-to-one translation to my day-to-day work and what I was doing with my master's. And they actually really encouraged that. Like they wanted us to talk about what was going on at work um, for like the blog, the posts and everything like that that you do with your master's. So um, I think my master's was really invaluable to like what I was doing every day. And I saw a benefit um, while I was doing it. If I did my master's before I was working, I probably would say, you know, I'm not sure how much it really helped, but um, getting my master's while working, I think I got more out of the program than I ever did in my undergrad um, because I got to see every day, I got to like apply it to my real world life. And is that like what went into the decision-making for doing your master's, the fact that you had like, hey, I have this opportunity to get it while I work. And also a lot of what I'll be learning will like directly align with what I do. Like, was there any other factors? Like, was it pretty much just like, that's what went to the decision-making behind it? So I had coworkers that were in the same program um, and the Navy will pay for your master's. So they were really encouraging like, hey, like, why aren't you doing this? And my husband had just gotten out of the Navy and was getting his undergrad. So it seemed like a really good time because he was in school too. So um, if I was going to get it, I might as well do it while he's also in class all the time. Um, Did you guys have the same classes at all or were they different? (laughs) No, he's a bioengineer. So So it wasn't like, (laughs) it wasn't aligned or anything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so... Uh, the timing was really about like, well, he's in school, so I might as well be in school too. But my coworkers just saying like, I get, I get real value out of this, um, did help me make the decision to to start. Was that like, did they give you time while working to go towards your master's or how, how difficult was it juggling both a job and having to do that program? Cause I know like multiple people who've tried to do their master's while working like it's it's no like easy job like that's a pretty difficult thing to be able to do and like come out the other side of especially yeah. with a technical degree so I just took one class at a time um and mine was online so um if you're doing an online program and it was like we didn't have class at a certain time you did everything like kind of on your own um, so because I didn't have a specific class time and everything was online, the, um, we didn't get, I didn't get time to do it. Um, so it was kind of hard to like juggle being in class and working and like just managing my, my day-to-day life. Um, and then like I was traveling a lot, so it made it kind of hard. I do remember we had a professor say, um, everybody has internet access. So I don't like, I don't accept the excuse of your own travel for work or whatever to not do your job. 
And I actually had to respond to him that I was going to be underway in a submarine for five days. So he was like, well, that's a first. <laughs> What's worse, Zach's internet right now or the internet on the submarine? <laughs> um, but I mean, I think that was the only time that I ever really struggled with like trying to do um, my classwork and my job. Um, but, you know, there were some times that like I took the afternoon off to like finish a project or something like that. But I don't remember it ever being like untenable. It was just time management. Yeah. I think I think one of the things that a lot of people who are considering doing an advanced degree like their master's, especially when they're younger and like early 20s, is the job prospect from it where you're hoping it makes your like profile something that you can like leverage more on your resume and like hopefully get more money with the job. Um, with your experience, like switching over to Oracle after leaving that military sector was your master's degree something that like came up and had I guess you'd say like was a valuable like leverage point in terms of getting your package at Oracle or like do you have like any kind of advice on who maybe getting a master's for would be like helpful versus not really applicable because I feel like especially these days, like let's just say back when our parents were in the workforce, it seemed like advanced degrees carried like a lot of weight that at least from what I'm seeing, it doesn't really seem to be the case as much anymore. I'm curious if you have like any perspective on that. Like, It's a really good question. So I don't remember any of the jobs that I applied for requiring the master's. Um, but it did come up during my interview that um, it was impressive that I had, you know, figured out how to get a master's while working. So it was considered a plus that I had, like, gone through this program. But I don't know if it was a, you know, I don't know if it was a deciding factor on me yeah. or not. Um, but I do know that personally and professionally getting my master's did help me be a better employee and like do my job. Better. So I think if you have the opportunity to get your master's, especially if somebody else is going to pay for it, there is no downside to it. You know, you're not going to not get a job. You're not going to be passed over. It's, for hurt hurt you. Masters, yeah. right? it's never going to hurt you to get more mm-hmm. education. Um it can only help. And if if it's offered to you and you have the time and desire, I will always say go get more education. I feel like it also shows that you have a lot of time management skills because for sure that's part of, you know, like working and studying at the same time. It gets hard. Like I personally, so I, I got my master's as an international student, I can't really work. So like I was a TA, so only 20 hours and it wasn't terrible, but I cannot imagine myself right now getting a master's and having to do homework after work and having to attend class. For example, my classes were all on Saturdays because everyone else was working. Everyone was older than me and they had children and work and families. 
So I just cannot even imagine going through all that process and not feeling tired and just over my life, you know? Yeah. I can't imagine getting my master's now. <laughs> yeah, um, that's, that's like one of the things, like, especially like the brain drain of technical work. It's like, you can't, it's one thing if you're doing something mindless, you can kind of force your way through. But like, once you like tap out, you're like, I'm going to cause more damage than good if I keep trying to go. Exactly. And I feel like if you're planning on switching industries i mean zach you are a special case because you were able to switch without you know like going through any like you did your courses and stuff but i feel like for me it was easier to go the master route and change from you know my international affairs focus to more technological focus because well first of all i didn't think i was going to be able to do that like i don't know i just wasn't sure if i wanted to get into technology right so I was able to look and try things to see if I really liked it or not. And second, I just wouldn't even have thought of applying to Oracle if I didn't go through for this degree, you know? So yeah. it's just, it depends, right? Like, I think if you're planning on switching um, industries and you don't have any experience on that, then you should go for a master's sometimes. Because in my experience the master's was more hands-on and mm -hmm. it was, I felt like it was easier to learn compared to my undergrad, even though I didn't have a technical undergrad. Oh, that's interesting. It's weird. Yes. I thought my master's was significantly more valuable. Yeah. Um, I think I learned more. I think you're older too. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know. I, I really loved getting my master's. I think it's a great opportunity and Zach, if you don't have one, you should look into getting one if you have the desire. <laughs> yeah, keep it, keep it in the back of my mind. No, that's one of those things that's interesting, though, is I've heard people say before that before getting an advanced degree, it's helpful a lot of the times to, like, work for a little bit first so mm -hmm. you appreciate and get more out of it. And, like, that's one of the things that I've, like, highlighted on this podcast before where one of the cool things about, like, being an adult and, like, working in the real world is it feels like what you do makes more of an impact. So when you're learning new things, you're more able to directly apply it to your experience and like the goals that you're aiming for, which I don't know, like it makes it interesting. And I could like definitely see how like Denise of you saying that it was like more impactful for you, kind of a bit of that like behind, like mindset behind it kind of thing, I guess. Well, I think, you know, there's always that like meme of like the little kid being like, when are we ever going to use this? And when yep. you're, you're already working, it's so easy to be like, no, I'll use this tomorrow. Yeah. It's important to me today. Um, as opposed to like when you're in your undergrad and it's like all abstract, like there's value tomorrow. Like there's value added every time in class. And I think that's yeah. just. And like one of the things that like stuck out that you have said to me is the fact that like you went through you have this like great work experience um did it for many years and you have this advanced degree that's like really hard to get but you were still initially having a hard time finding jobs at first and all it took was just learning how to tweak the language of your resume and I think that's like a really important thing for people to like think about and dwell on because 
there's like a lot of people out there who like I put in like all of this hard work to what I'm doing and I'm still having a hard time like say finding a job or getting into the industry I want to and I think it's like very easy to fall in the mindset of like I need to do something like super difficult or to say get over the barrier I'm reaching now and a lot of times it might just be like a little tweak like oh just learn how to format things a little bit different and speak to your audience so that was yes. something that like really stuck out to me from like your story. Yeah. So hiring Lindsay um, was invaluable. So first, you know, we went through this whole thing of like, do I really want to leave? And then the decision was yes. And then it was, okay, well, I have this resume and I don't know what I'm doing wrong with it. Also, I've never worked corporate before. So I don't know how to write a resume for <laughs> somebody that isn't in the government. Um, and just having somebody to tell me I'm great while you're going through this whole like process that is, I think naturally you're questioning yourself, um, was really helpful. So she would like, I would tell her what I do for a living. And then she would like say it back to me in a really positive way. And her, her doing that really helped me be like, no, I can go get a job at a company like Oracle. I am great. Um, so I, I think if you're if you're looking for a new job, having that like cheerleader for you is she's I don't know. It was really helpful for me. Yeah. Wow, it's like a psychological process too, right? Because yeah, every time you read like a job opening or something you might be like oh I'm not sure if I have this or do I really have this or mm, I do this but maybe not the exact same same way as they're asking me to do it I, I don't know you know the so one thing that's really fascinating is women will apply for positions that they fit like 80 or 90 percent of the objectives and men will apply for like if they hit like 50 percent and I think <laughs> I think that's a really interesting difference between um, men and women. And I had to like remind myself that a lot when I was applying for jobs. Like I didn't hit all the things that Oracle was looking for, but that's okay. I, I'm confident and capable and I can learn. Exactly. Honestly. Okay. So Zach and I were talking about how this podcast sometimes is like therapy to us, you know, <laughs> and a lot of the things that I've learned to be more of like a, I guess like the men mentality of like, just ask, just apply, just do this comes from like talking to Zach and being like, oh no, yeah, I gave this a try, you know, <laughs> or I asked for this or whatever. And it's like, it's just nice to hear other people doing that and kind of asking yourself, okay, so why can't I try to, you know, do it too, right? Like sometimes you need to get other people's perspective too. Yeah. Yeah. Having friends, especially work friends who can like hype you up like that's super important because like it, it's funny because when Ramu will come to me with that, for me, it's like, yeah, it's like the stuff where I've already decided. I'm like, no, I can see like a straight line of sight. I can go for this. But that's like something that internally I've always struggled with. And a lot of the reason why I feel like I'm able to say reach for higher branches comes I would say like in recent memory, two places come to mind at first. The first one was switching from finance to tech with no tech background. Cause like after that, it was almost like all of these guardrails that I thought was on life were 
it was like I just like thought of the world in terms of the school thing where it's like you choose your degree and you go in lockstep and you have the certain years of experience and once you choose a path it's like you stay on the path because you finally have your job and stability so doing something so off the rails like that kind of like woke me up to like whoa like we're all just kind of figuring this out as we go and as long as you have a plan that makes sense like go for those risks I think the second part was being on St. Gita's team when I first moved over to solution engineering was a huge confidence boost with me where I feel like I'm almost kind of like bipolar in the sense where I'm either like really confident in myself or I'm beating myself up so much and like think that I just have no self-esteem. So St. Gita was like really good at just reminding me in those like moments of self-doubt, especially when I was say reaching for something that was more difficult um, to just like remind me of like, Hey, like just kind of like be that cheerleader as a manager and just that like you do great work like go for it like I have your back and I don't know it's like I I think that's like something that I especially take a lot of value from in managers but I think we all could like we all like benefit from that too it's like having a manager who just can serve as like that hype person for you and just remind you of like what you do it, it goes it goes a long way and just coming from when I was like younger, let's say high school age, I was very, let's just say like logical and literal and I still am. So I was like very skeptical about a lot of say, like the mindset mentality. Like for me, it was like always just do the work, etc. And it just, I try to keep things like on that logic train, but just, I don't know, the older I get in the more I advance my career and and especially as I try to do like creative things just realizing how much that your emotions and mood and just being able to like advocate for yourself plays into things is huge and you were saying how on like the female side one of the things is it's harder to be assertive I would say on the guy side something that (laughs) I'm curious if other people feel is I think we have a harder time being able to just take stock of our emotions and like why we're like feeling a certain way. And that's like your body's way of kind of giving you hints to your situation, like what you're like dealing with. So like, just like for my example with this story, just this like insecurity and doubt when I went and do something, a lot of the times I'll just like try to push that down further and it just makes things worse. But meanwhile, it's like, hey, like when I was like working for Sangeeta, just be like, Sangeeta, like I need a pep talk or she could just like notice it on my face and just the way I was behaving too. It's it's interesting how you have to address those things. Otherwise, it makes it worse, even if it's like, say, not those kinds of things that people talk about. Because when people think about their job, they think like, oh, like, did I complete the project? Like, how are my KPIs doing? Um were we able to like hit this deadline? How does my team think about me? But we don't really look at that kind of, hey, like how are my like internal dials and just different like stats and gauges going and like where I'm at right now? Yeah. It is interesting how like, you know, we have these like women men statistics. <laughs> it is. Um and I, I think to your point, Zach, it is so important to have somebody 
that you're comfortable with saying like I need you to mm-hmm. dial me back in Ramud is that for me all the time <laughs> oh yeah I have my therapy sessions with Denise too <laughs> <laughs> um and Ramud and I are so lucky to have um, Millie as our boss because she's and she's such a great cheerleader so yeah you're right having somebody especially a, a, a manager, manager that is willing to tell you when you're doing great and also tell you when it's time to like figure something out you need yeah. both sides yeah everybody needs, everybody needs that I hyped up St. Gita a lot Jeff you do it to me too that was just a good example <laughs> that came to mind don't you worry Jeff's, Jeff's awesome about that as well <laughs> I'm lucky to have him as a manager yeah so I'm super curious of how your interview with Oracle was because I feel like maybe Zach and I had different experiences because we were already inside of Oracle. I wonder how people are with people outside, you know, of Oracle. Um, oh my God. So I feel like that day was just kind of like a blur. So was it only one day or multiple days? So it was one day. I did, I think it was three or four sessions. Um, okay. back, to back, back to back or, oh, yeah. okay. Um, so I don't remember who I started with, but I did, I think it was like Giant and Melly. I met with Corby and LJ and Shiva. Oh my God, that's crazy. And then, um, my last meeting with was with um, Steve Hagen, I think. Um, and that's when he told me that he was going to offer me the job. So I went through like everybody on the team and they must have all um, said yes. And then Steve Hagen said that I would be getting an offer. Um, okay, that's wild. So... so you found out the same day as your interviews. Yeah. Like so, during so the last interview, me. technically. <laughs> I also want to say that you basically interviewed with everyone high up, like very high up. Yeah. Because I interviewed with like Hans, um, Ryota, Jean, Melly, David. Yeah. I don't remember if I, I think maybe David was there. I don't remember. It was a lot of people. It was a long day. <laughs> wow. So, um, for example, Shiva right now, he he is Giant's boss, right? So it's like Meli, Giant, and then Shiva. That is pretty right. up there, right? But at the time, Shiva was like, he. I think he was like LJ's level. So he was like a development manager. So mm-hmm. he wasn't super higher up at the time. And, you know, I didn't have any perspective of anybody. Right position so it was just like these are just people that I was interviewing with and I didn't understand exactly. the, um hierarchy uh, but one of the things with working for the military is like I talked to admirals who are like the highest level so um that didn't really bother me too much mm-hmm. um it was just it was a really long day I remember I think I took a nap after <laughs> <laughs> So, um, like, do you remember, like, kind of what type of questions they asked you? Were they nice? Yeah, was it more, like, behavioral, technical? Was there... It was both. Um, so there was questions like, what would you do in this situation? What's your time management skills look like? What do you know about um, third-party libraries? Which should have tipped me off. Um, 
<laughs> um, and like vulnerabilities and like patches and that kind of thing. So it was kind of, it was a a plethora of questions about technical skills that they were looking for for somebody on the team. So I think we talked a lot about Scrum. Um, and then also, I think, are you a good fit? So, yeah, it was definitely a, it kind of like ran the gamut, so. Hmm. So, um, talking about women's stuff again, sorry, Zach, but how does like maternity affected like the way you work now? How do you manage with that? How was being on maternity leave? You know, all of that stuff. I'm really curious about that too. Like that whole just like working parent vibe. I want to have little ones one day. I need okay. to take notes. Right, right. Start taking notes, Zach. Um, <laughs> be careful. So, <laughs> I was not pregnant when I took the job, but I was pregnant when I started. Um, so I, there was definitely, I was really scared about that of like, was this your first kid? Yeah. Um, so I I was actually really glad that it happened when it did, because I think if I got pregnant before I accepted, I would have really struggled with the idea of leaving something that I knew and I knew how it was going to go to Oracle where I didn't know how their maternity leave policy was or how it would be like um taken from the team or anything like that but it turned out to be such a blessing so our team is oh. really really wonderful supporting us um sorry like big, big like um quick story time the day that i joined and now that she was pregnant so yeah. <laughs> everyone was so happy like everyone was like oh my god that's Aww. awesome blah blah so I think that was like a really nice thing from the team too because I know my friend um she got pregnant she was kind of in the same situation as you Denise where she she interviewed a long time ago like let's say six months and six months later they called her and they were like oh you have the job and she was pregnant. She was already pregnant, but she wasn't pregnant when she interviewed, right? So sometimes we might think this is not a big deal, but I feel like for her, it was very like, oh my God, I'm going to start this job. Then I'm going to leave because I'm going to take maternity leave. And all of this of like, it might look bad, you know, that yeah. I have a job and I'm going to take this time off because I decided to be a mom, you know? So these are like pressures that we might not think about all the time until we get pregnant, you know, but it is like a lot of pressure and it sucks that we have to feel that, you know, even if it doesn't happen that way. Yeah. And I never felt Oracle never made me feel like it was a negative thing, but I definitely struggled with that whole, like, do they feel like I was withholding? information when I was interviewing but I didn't I wasn't pregnant I didn't know um but Oracle has been wonderful supporting my being pregnant and then also maternity leave and having Oliver so um if you I got 22 weeks of maternity leave which if you're in Europe is like nothing but in the U.S. <laughs> is really really generous um so I was able to, and my husband got 12 weeks. So we were able to, he didn't have to go to daycare until he was like six and a half months old, um, which was great. So 
I think I came back between Thanksgiving and Christmas for a little while. And my husband was home with our son. Um, and that was great because I was able to kind of like figure out the logistics of being a working mom while knowing that my son was being really well taken care of. And I didn't have to like rush home to be with him because of daycare. Um, and then when we all went back to work in February, um, I had already like had my feelings about being a working mom and I just had to figure out like the daycare part. Um, <clears throat> so I think that that helped me kind of like work through everything without having to do it like all at once. Um, I think the hardest part after the guilt of being not with my son all day is how sick he is all the time. <laughs> so, um, with daycare, all the kids are always sick with something and it's feel like I feel like every week or every other week we have some new illness. So right now we're getting over hand, foot and mouth. <laughs> I think it's two weeks ago it was COVID. Before that, we had some other cold. So um, that's always really difficult of like the negotiation between my husband and I of like, who's going to stay home with Oliver? Um, and because I, I can work from home, it's usually me because my husband... Uh, works in a lab so he he can't do what we do and work while our son's like taking a nap or something um so it's just the the work-life balance is difficult to figure out I'm still figuring it out um especially when he's homesick um but you know we're getting there I think I'm still doing my job well hopefully and <laughs> Oliver's a happy and healthy little kid so um my kitchen's not always super clean but everything else is okay <laughs> <laughs> um I can't remember but I think there was another part to that question Zach uh, I don't remember what it was okay. you haven't answered my question on it <laughs> um yeah so I mean I think in general Oracle has been really, really generous and welcoming and I don't know, it's been, it's been better than what I could hope for to work for our team and support wise of being a working mom. Um, but that doesn't mean it's easy. Do you know if men also get 22 weeks? They don't. Um, so if the way Oracle does it is if you had a natural childbirth you get six weeks to recover from that and if you had a c-section you get eight weeks and then you get 14 weeks of parental leave so for the first eight weeks because i ended up having a c-section i was actually recovering from surgery and then i was on parental leave after that so men get the 14 weeks um or partners um the the partner that didn't okay. deliver the baby um, get 14 weeks. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's a, it's a pretty good system. So. so how do you deal with like time management? <laughs> <laughs> I think this um, is the, the question that I would ask every party <laughs> manager. 
this podcast just revolves around the moon night having like come to Jesus moments about our time management. We're, we're just like, I thought we were doing good. Where'd all my yeah. time go? So I struggle with that every single day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I know that you guys use OneNote a lot. I can't use OneNote because I have an app, a Mac and I'm a little jealous of that. Um, so I have like a little notebook at my desk that I write in most days that tells me like what my top 10 things I want to do that day are. Um, and then lots of days I transfer those over to the next day of <laughs> what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, and I don't really know how I do it. So um, yeah, so every morning before I, I start my day, I like try to like write down everything that I need to get done and um, prioritize the list. And then Melly during our one-on-ones on Friday, I kind of like go through like, okay, this is what I think my tasks, my priorities are. Do you agree with that? And we adjust if necessary. Um, and that's kind of like how I handle like, this is where I think that I'm supposed to be working on. Do you agree with me or should we, should I be working on something different? And sometimes she's, she reminds me of something that um, is a little bit more important that I should work on. Um, and then from like, just focusing, I found that I can't have my cell phone at my desk. It has to be somewhere else. So it sits in a different room that I can hear it in case I get a phone call. Um, but it, like, it can't be at my desk or cell phones are, I don't know. I find them to be too distracting. Um, They're rough. So I was trying to doing. figure that out. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, so... Yeah. Like your, I like that method of having your phone somewhere else because I do feel like that's a really big problem in my life. <laughs> yeah. So I, um, when I worked for the, the Navy, I often couldn't have my phone. So I never learned how to like just ignore it. Right. Mm -hmm. I need to learn how to just ignore it. So instead it just needs to not be there. Um, and, but it has to be near me in case daycare calls and says that my kid is sick, but it can't be like, it's right next to me right now and it shouldn't be. Um, <laughs> so it will go back into my bedroom um, after this. So I think that's my biggest uh, tip is if you find yourself on your phone a lot, just move it and have it out of reach. So. Do you have any rules for yourself or like Slack and email where like, do you keep them both just open and respond to stuff as like they come? Or do you try to like say check in the morning and then just like close out of it for a while? So I don't get a lot of emails that I have to respond to. Um, so I check my email first thing in the morning and then typically around lunch and Slack, I almost always have open because um, it, it's the way that we communicate mostly. Um, and then if there's something that I'm trying to do that I have to focus on, I'll shut off my notifications. But it's pretty rare that I'm in a situation where um, I can't have Slack open. Like if we're doing like a um, a presentation or something, I'll shut it off, obviously. But I I usually have it open 
unless I'm like in the zone and I'm, I don't want to like lose my focus. Cause I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I'll get a Slack message and then 15 minutes goes by and I like lost my yep. mojo all the time. <laughs> That's my issue. I'm like constantly trying to balance between trying to like get into deep work modes versus also like with Slack, you just, it's how everyone communicates. So it's like, I need to respond to people, but also it's mm-hmm. like, once you start getting those pings, I'm just like, I can't focus anymore. I've like lost my train of thought. Yeah. So I know some people use like the Pomodoro method where like, have you guys heard about this? Um, you so told me about it, right? It's like a timer thing. Yeah. So um, you work for 25 minutes and then you have like a five minute break and you do that. I think it's like four times and then you get like a half hour break. Um, so you could do something like that where like you shut off Slack for 25 minutes and then you take your five minute break and you check Slack and you go back to, to work. Some people say that that's really helpful for them. I find that I just, I'm always looking at the clock <laughs> if I'm doing that method. Um, but you could do something like that, right? Like where nothing's going to go wrong if you don't check Slack for 25 minutes, right? So you could always just have it shut off while you're in that mode and then check it later. Right? Like we're not doing something that's life or death. And if your boss says it's okay, um, to be out of pocket for, you know, an accepted amount of time. That because that's always my concern, right? Like if I'm not responding, then do people think that like I'm not working? That's always the fear in the back of my mind. I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's like always an irrational fear, like 95% of the time. But I feel like it's something that's just so relatable is just you having that access to people and like the little green light where. Like, I, I never look at anyone else's green light and goes like, ooh, someone's slacking, but I always think right. everyone's doing it to me. That's like the joke of it all. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever looked at Ramuz and been like, oh, she's not working right now. Um, <laughs> Rise her down. Melly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I can see um, like Raul's not on right now, like, but ooh. it doesn't matter. I think <laughs> I'm sure he's working if he's supposed to be working, but I don't know. Like, um, because we don't, we're not always in the office. I don't know about you guys, but I often like worry about like if I'm not responsive all the time um, during like working hours, he's gonna assume that I'm not doing my job. Which- I feel like when I started Oracle, that was the case for me of like, oh my god, I have to be on all the time and all of these things, you know. Um, I think that now is a little, so I might see a notification, but I will still be editing my video or writing whatever I have to write or trying to finish what I have to finish. Even though after I'm done with that sentence, I'll go to Slack and then I'll see that I have to look for something or someone asked me for something and I have to go to Confluence and I will do it right away because if not, I'll forget, you know, and then my train of thought of writing my vlog or testing this or whatever will leave my brain you know and then I'm like oh what was I doing and then I have like 20 tabs open so I'm trying to figure out where I was you know and I feel like at some point it's okay for you not to answer even if you're on and working you know or it's okay for you to take a, a walk like I walk my dog because he has to be walked you know and I walk for myself too right like I want to be outside I want to look 
around and it's a beautiful day and I want to just take a walk without being stressed about my slack making a noise or something so I, I'll leave my phone at home you know yeah so it's okay it's just it is a transition right to like start getting used to that and thinking that way yes um I think finding the like reminding future and slack was actually really helpful yes um, what's that I might need it oh man the, the best feature so if you get like a something that you need to remember later if you right click on the message there's like it says like reminder and then it like in 20 minutes or a half hour or like tomorrow it will pop up in Slackbot and like show you the message again okay I'll definitely start using that because my trap is is I'll get the little notification thing I'll be like "Ooh, who messaged me and then like I'll click on it be like oh, this is actually something I'll take time to solve. But if I don't do it now because I've already clicked the message, I'll completely forget about it. And so I'm like, now I'm just doing it now. Yep. So yeah. that's really helpful, especially if it's something that like somebody messages you at the end of the day and I'm not going to work on that until tomorrow. Mm. I think at like 9 a.m. it tells me, it like reminds me of all the things. That's <laughs> the best feature in Slack. I've been experimenting this week. I don't think Ramu would like this idea because I'm a morning person. She isn't. I've been waking up early where I'll start like working at like 530 or six before people just start to bother you. So I can like yeah. knock out my deep work. And then in like the late afternoon, I'll like still have like Slack open and stuff. So if anyone needs me, I can just like quickly respond. But I'll just be like doing my like chores around the apartment and stuff because like I've already like gotten my work done that's I'm having pretty good results with that so far I might try to keep doing it because especially just like getting those wins done beginning of the day where it's like getting your deep work out so if you if you just need to like respond to someone that's like a little like oh attention here attention there but I don't know especially with me I just feel like my brain is kind of like a battery that just like decreases over the day where it doesn't matter how much like I do in the morning. It's like, if I get to the afternoon, it's like harder for me to like get in that deep work focus, especially if I've been like holding a bunch of different directions. Yeah. I think I'm the same way, but <laughs> I don't, I can't do that right now. <laughs> um, but I, I, I see your point, right? So if you get to like 1, 1 p.m. or 2 p.m. during like that slump, but you've already feel like you've accomplished your day. It's a lot easier to just acknowledge that, like, no, I did, I did my my job today, um, and do what else you need to do. Like, if it's not go to the gym or get your chores done, um, I think it's so important to figure out like when when you work best. And I think mm -hmm. don't take the time to figure that out. That's what I love about remote work is the fact that we have that freedom to do it because. Just in my experience, like working in an office, kind of like we were talking about that whole like, oh, if your Slack notification isn't on, what are people going to think of me? When you're in person, everyone kind of has that like lockstep of it's like even more intense of just you're always wondering what like people will think of you versus I don't know, like when you work at home, it's like, hey, as long as my stuff gets done, no one cares if. I take my lunch at this hour, if I go to the gym at this hour, if I want to lie on the ground, like on my stomach to work <laughs> right now, it's like, yeah, if I'm at the office, I can't do that because like James will look at me weird, but <laughs> just like having that flexibility, 
I feel like it just helps me just stay loose in my work and it's it's nice because you kind of hear about like everyone's different formulas that they've started to put together for their own like routines around like work from home yeah I'm actually I go to the office two days a week um so I do I struggle with that so like on the days that I'm in did I get in before enough people that when I leave at 4 30 to pick up my son like it's acceptable but even though I know that on the days that I'm not home like I'm working 10 hour days right so or the days that I'm not in the office um and I go and I pump like a couple times a day so like that's I don't know the perception of work is really interesting and I think that we all need to just stop like nobody cares about you as much as you think that they do mm-hmm. yeah and I think that's really hard like obviously if you're not doing your job that's one thing but like you're an adult they're an adult like nobody cares if you are at the gym um if you're getting your work done exactly is a really hard thing for people to remember and I know that I don't (laughs) (laughs) um but I think we all need to to work on that a little bit more right so I want to highlight that I know I'm not a morning person but I have been waking up well I tried this for like two three days I think this week okay it didn't go that great for me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I was waking up at 7.30, okay? That, it, that's early for me. That, I know it's not 5, I know it's not 6, but <laughs> it's early for me. And I was trying to get work done, and I kind of did, right? But it was not. <laughs> it did not go well for me. And I think Denise knows why, but it was a really hard week. You had a really hard week, though. <laughs> I don't think that that's a fair assessment of how getting up early would go for you. Right. So, yeah, I will give it a try next week. Was this last week? No, it was this week. Okay. Yeah. You're week. telling me you're, you're having a hard week. Um, yeah. But you were also on at like 8 p.m. So you were, yeah. like, you had really long days. Really long days. <laughs> I think that, I think that this week is not an acceptable. It doesn't count. Example it doesn't count. Of, <laughs> um, but maybe you're more of like a, you work at the middle of the night kind of person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. What if you went nocturnal for your work schedule? <laughs> that could be pretty cool. Like no one would bother you. Your productivity <laughs> soars through the roof. <laughs> Literally. Who knows? You see me could, on a 5 a.m. Like 5 a.m. but going to sleep at that time type of yeah, thing. We could film like technically miss- managing at 6 a.m. I'm just starting my day. You're yeah, ready I'm for really- bed. It'll be, we'll finally have like a good schedule to make this work. No, <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> I would miss you, um, Ramu, if you did that. Yeah, the, it is true, right? There's like night owl people that get ins- inspired at night and you are like, just a morning person, Zach, and I, I wish I was, you know? <laughs> I wish I was. I but do find that sometimes, like, if I'm really into something and I come back to it at like 9 p.m., I get a lot more done because nobody else is on and like right it's something I'm really focusing on but in general I'm not doing that <laughs> unless Oliver has been sick all week and I have to get my work done uh, you know like another funny thing that also happens to Denise and to me is that for example for me my dog at around 6 30 he will be bringing me toys 
<laughs> making the squeaky noise with his toys, pulling me from the chair. Like I'll be like rolling, you know, because he's like he's a pulling from. Person. No, he's an afternoon person. Yeah, yeah an afternoon person. Oh, this is six thirty p.m. Night. Yeah, p.m. p.m. Oh. <laughs> and then like sometimes I'll be in calls with Denise, and I will hear her dog being like, like whining. <laughs> She's taking a nap right now, but at like 3 p.m., she'll like after my meeting with Melly, she'll start yelling at me to go throw her ball. But my husband's home today, so um so he can throw the ball. <laughs> he can throw the ball. <laughs> but yeah, I used to have meetings with Jean um on Tuesdays or when it must have been Wednesdays, um, in our dad's home. And <laughs> Luna will be an often uh, participant in those meetings, yelling at me at like 4.30. Yelling at uh, me. <laughs> it's time for work to be over. Um, and I'll, I'll often have to pause those meetings to let her out. <laughs> no, I promise you, I don't know why, but Fridays at around the, the time that I have one-on-ones with Melly, always, always, mm-hmm. he always barks at some point in the call and I feel so bad because I'm like I'm sorry Melly let me take control of my child you know <laughs> so yeah get a yeah. dog but you know the consequences there are consequences basically yeah. yeah it's so funny um she hasn't done that in a while but it's really funny when she does it like she's decided that the day is over she also um she yells at us to go to bed so if I'm working late and my husband's already in bed. She'll come in here and like yell at me Aww. to come to bed. <laughs> Doesn't like it if I'm working late. Yeah, um, literally my dog. That. <laughs> That's literally my dog. Yeah. You, Zach, you should get a dog. I go back and forth between like I I have like puppy fever, but sometimes like when I babysat that one little puppy that set back me getting a dog for like two years because that was a lot moving into this apartment now this pushed me back because I'm like uh just watching my life get chaotic I'm like how am I gonna do work and everything with a dog but I want to get one at some point my guess is like maybe two years is it true that they're like good training wheels for kids no (laughs) no it's like not (laughs) I was hoping that's how it worked no um I think that so we got a puppy. Luna was a puppy when we got her. And maybe in the very beginning when she was like up all the time because she needed to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. But it's not, it is not the same thing. Because um, she would go out and pee and then just come back to bed. And when you try to do that with your baby, it gets very confused. <laughs> <laughs> just go out in the backyard. <laughs> Um, nothing can prepare you for the three-hour crying sessions in the middle of the night at like 2 a.m. when you can't get your kid to go back to sleep and then you're finally in bed at five and you have to get up at six like there's just no well that's Zach's alarm going off (laughs) no I still want kids I'm gonna do it like at some point but I'm just I need my sleep I get like delirious if I don't have it so I used to be like that. I would like, and before we had Oliver, I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this. And it turns out that you can live on a hell of a lot less sleep than you think. Um, up until very recently, I was getting up twice a night to pump. So I was 
really sleeping for like on two or three hours at a time for I cannot until like 10 months um and like you just figure it out like you just that's what you you have to do it because it's keeping your kid alive and that's that's your life right um but I cannot wait to just sleep <laughs> <laughs> um no my husband really wants to get another puppy and I am not on board with that because <laughs> I can't go through the whole like little puppy phase again right now um because I'll be the one home with if we got a puppy I'd be the one home with it well um, I thought that every time I did something like good for my dog I would be like wow I'm gonna be a great mom and now Denise is saying no okay <laughs> no I mean okay and he's like so, crazed, like her dog like some, I've like, got this there's that a little, little like baby bottle little bit, right like practicing. you have to keep your bait your puppy alive and da- and there's daycare and there's going to the vet and like the incessant googling of like can my dog eat this right like all oh of my that. god yes <laughs> um, but there is a lot of things that it's just it's just not the same um and puppy I don't know dogs will always like we say that our dog's like our perpetual toddler right and mm-hmm. will grow up and be a whole human being exactly um so I don't think there's anything that can prepare you for that also um one thing that's very true is when you have a puppy they don't wear diapers when you're potty training them right um and they move a lot more when they're puppies than babies do so I think that's actually something that's harder um potty training we haven't obviously gone through potty training yet with Oliver, but trying to figure that out with a puppy, I think is a little bit different. You know what I've been experiencing now? Um, So they just opened a dog park behind my house. So like we have, you know, in our apartment complex, there's a lot of dogs. And my dog now thinks that we have to take him to the dog park every day, right? Aww. And we take him to the dog park, like, a lot of the times, right? But he's been behaving terrible, like, terrible. Like, he will hit other dogs, you know? Like, he never, like, bites them or anything. But I feel so embarrassed that I'm like, will I feel like that if I have a child and I'm taking them to the park and they're behaving terrible and they don't know how to share? Or they're out there smacking the other kids around. The other kids, (laughs) yes. I'm like, oh, my God. So, literally, like, it's torture for me to take my dog to the park, but he's so happy, you know? (laughs) my sister was like that um (laughs) like growing up I was the good kid and Megan like just pictured this like little blonde girl in her little like sundress with like a giant Minnie Mouse bow getting letters sent home because in kindergarten she would just push the people like in the way of her cubby the teacher would be like Megan pushed over a boy who was like in front of her cubby (laughs) my dad was like just trying not to laugh I'm like sorry like I'm like, oh my God, I have to apologize to so many dog parents. And like the worst part is like, okay, so we kind of all know each other because we all live around the same place, right? So like, we'll know the the dog's name. So we'll be like, oh my God, how's this doggy doing? Oh, how is it? Like, we'll know their whole story, right? And I know that they have this little community where like, they'll have a dog like in the blacklist. You know what I mean? Like there's like two Dalmatians that 
when they see them, they're like, I don't want to play with them. Like, I don't want my dog to play with them. Like, you know, so I'm like stressed out because like my boyfriend and I were like, we don't want Leo to get in that blacklist, you know? So we're trying to like control him, but we're like all tense behind Leo every time he's at the park, you know, like walking behind him, like, please, please be good, you know? <laughs> Have you done training with him yet? So like we've, we've done training and honestly, like he behaves amazing when he's home. Like he is like, He's always sleeping. Well, except when he like barks at people because nobody can walk in front of our door. Apparently, you know, that's his territory too, I guess. But he behaves amazing. And it depends on what dogs, like some dogs just drive him crazy and he has to do all this crazy stuff and hit them on everything. And other dogs, he's like the friendliest dog. So I just don't know. And when he's at the dog park, he's just, he thinks he's like, a dog by himself like he doesn't have parents like he doesn't listen to us he doesn't have a name he's like wild i don't i don't get it honestly you're cramping my style mom and dad literally he's like, he's like embarrassed of us sometimes he goes <laughs> to other owners to so like he okay so our dog he has like an attitude so he doesn't like being see he likes being petted but like not a lot you know like it's like okay at some point he's like okay you, you can stop now you know so but he goes to other people to pet mm -hmm. him well, we're at the dog park. So we're like, hello. Like, he doesn't even look at us. We're, we're, we don't know each other. We don't, we don't live together, you know? So it's uh, pretty insulting, to be honest. But Are we sure this isn't training for kids? <laughs> like that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I mean, I think there's definitely some... So Oliver's been stealing other kids' bottles at daycare. Oh <laughs> and also, like... I guess sometimes he really likes to just play by himself and like other like kids like come to play with him and he's not in the mood. He like cries and screams <laughs> like the teachers. So um, yeah, I mean, the embarrassment is I think constant, but there's nothing I can do about that. Like, right. That's how I feel about my dog. <laughs> not even one. Um, and I'm not there. So I don't, I don't know. You just kind At of, least you're not there. Yeah. You deal with it. So, yeah, right. I've seen like it is good training. I've seen like Leo punch a puppy, and the puppy how? Cry. How like how punch? does a dog punch? I I'll show you guys pictures. I'll send you guys pictures. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he's like literally punched a dog without a leg. Like it's pretty oh. embarrassing. I'm telling you, he's like <laughs> I know, I know. He's like. I don't know how he's my child, to be honest. I would never do that, but I can't do anything about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's good, though. And Oliver and Luna are so good together. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. That's cute. I'll send I feel you like pictures. Yeah. I feel like my dog will be so jealous of other kids, too, so... Luna is definitely a little jealous, but now that Oliver eats food and shares with her, oh, my life! Yeah. <laughs> I gave Oliver there. a cracker the other day, and um, he was trying to feed Luna the cracker, and he like she would try to bite it, and then he would bite it. Oh, <laughs> watching this interaction, like this is really disgusting, but it's also really important for their like. He knows how to share. And teach it. <laughs> so I'm just going to let it happen, even though I'm really grossed out by it. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know. I think you just kind of have to go with it. You have to go with it with your puppy. You have to go with it with your kid. As long as nobody's getting hurt, right? Exactly. So when are you getting the puppy, <laughs> Zach? Because you've been yeah. pushing it. <laughs> uh, like, reach out to me in two years about this. Let, okay. At least let me have like a year in this apartment under wraps. I just need some stability in my life. I've been doing too much lately. How we're, we're starting to get close. Um, we have the couches in. I'm working on the podcast studio. The couch looks great for that. So I'm really excited about that. We still have some boxes here and there. And I'm stubbing my toes on things but <laughs> once we get rid of the last couple boxes and i get switched to gigabit internet in like two weeks when that gets installed i'll be a lot happier of a camper so we're making progress i really like this part of town so that's awesome it's be a lot of fun yeah do you go to the office oh sorry denise <laughs> uh, no ask your question i was asking if you if you went to the office or like do you go once in a while at least? Zach? Oh, I thought that was for the knees. <laughs> no. Um, no. I already talked about going to the office. Yes. Yeah. I'll I'll go occasionally. Um, not that often, but like every once in a while. I just I'm just more productive from home. So you're in I Austin, usually just right? do here. Yeah. Are you What's the headquarters like? My experience of it, it's beautiful, but it's like still. I haven't gone enough lately to know if it's still the case, but it's a lot of the time just like felt kind of empty because everyone's like hybrid and all over the place and none mm -hmm. of my team is there except for Layla now. But we need to, we want to go in and just like hang out a little bit more. Layla's the intern on my team, but I like, I like it. It's like right on the waterfront of like Austin, which is really cool, like beautiful headquarters. But yeah, especially because like no one on my team's there there's not really too much of a reason to go in mm. but uh you said you go into the office twice a week um i try to so i'm not in right now because i might still be contagious and i don't want anybody on the team to get hand foot and mouth <laughs> um but yeah so i'm super lucky because melly and giant and shiva and some of the other people on our team are in nashua so I think I'm kind of like unique where um, I get to actually interact with people on my team in Nashua, like in person. Um, and I think that for me, that's really helpful. I like the in-person perspective, but um, I like having the flexibility to work from home when I have to. Um, so I think two days a week is is the right fit for me. Um, also, it's like a 45 minute commute. So I get, if I'm home, I get to use that time to like work a little bit more mm -hmm. um, or get some stuff done around my house that otherwise I wouldn't be able to. So I think two days is, is a good fit. Um, if they make it a mandatory three day, I'll have to like think about whether or not I want to keep my desk. We'll see. Yeah, they made me get rid of my desk because I didn't go in enough. Um, yeah, so I still have a desk, but I don't know if I would keep it if we if it was three days. I think two days is really the right the right amount for me. So you can still go in, right? Like go and say like, "Hey, Melly, can you help me do 
X or whatever. Um, what were you saying, Marmu? I missed it. Um, that you can still go in anyways, like even if you give your desk away, right? Yeah. So I just, so I have like a desk. I have an office with like a door. Um, it's a shared office, but nobody sits in the other desk. Um, so I would just, I would lose that mm-hmm. thought and have like, I'd have to bring my stuff every day. Right. But I don't think it would be that bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Zach and I would have been sat next to each other if, if I would have been in Austin and I would have kept my desk. You know that, right, Zach? I was just thinking for a second about that alternate reality where you moved to Austin. Would right. you have, because they like, we had like an interesting situation for solution engineering when we were over there where like we thought we had to go, like I'll move to Austin and you ended up like not having to. I was already here, so didn't mm-hmm. affect me either way but wait so they said you all had to be in austin that's interesting yeah right. our class of program was like technically austin based but we started during covid so everything was like in flex and no one really knew what was going on hmm. is that how raul ended up in austin or is he in a different class up he was he... in a different class off yeah he wow. started out uh in the burlington hub just like moved to Austin for funsies I think so Denise Rahul was Zach's roommate in college that's right I remember hearing about that you guys went to BU right Boston College so BC BC. cool yeah life would have been so different if I would have had to move to Austin I'm curious how you like it I want you to come and visit me in Montana sometime. I need we to. need to we need to plan that trip. I'll only do the Miami trip too. That'll be fun. You better. You better. <laughs> you guys are all invited to to Miami. You guys all like Denise and Zach, not like our audience. <laughs> <laughs> Someone messages me like, hey, I'm in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. I love Miami. I love the beach. I love, you know the culture, the food. But I mean, I heard really good things about Austin. I don't know about where you live, Denise, New Hampshire, right? Like mm-hmm. that, yeah. Um, if you like to hike, there's a lot of good hiking. Um, yeah. Where I live is very, very quiet. Very, very quiet. Um, but there's some really good parts, New Hampshire. <clears throat> um, especially if you like outdoors activities. But I'm super close to Boston too, so nice yeah so so we've been going for about an hour 40 do we want to call the podcast now i know this like flew by thank you for being our first guest denise i like really like this yeah i love it and thank you uh thank you for inviting me and encouraging me to do this i definitely did not want to do this uh, (laughs) but my husband told me it was a good thing for me to do. So here. you did awesome. I loved like hearing about your story. So yeah, thank yeah. you so much for coming on. This has been thank great. Um, I appreciate getting to tell everybody what it's like to be on the team with Bermu. Yeah. Awesome. That's cool. technically managing episode 12, everyone. Thanks for listening. See you in two weeks. Thank you, everyone. Bye.